This week on Living the Call, Deacon Charlie talks with Rob Kazmar, Executive Director and Co-Founder of Spirit Juice Studio, a creative production firm. Rob discusses how his projects combine the power of high-quality visual media with the ever-ancient, ever-new beauty of Catholicism. He and Deacon also touch on diversity in the church and ways to break through differences to find common ground. People that know something that's trying to communicate that to others, it's, it's your duty to communicate in a way that they could understand, not to water it down, but to, to, to say it in a way that's palatable, whether that's you're trying to teach someone or if we're going to bring back to the church stuff, teaching the faith. I think that's a very important part is don't water what you're saying down, but say it that they could understand it with analogies that make sense. And I mean, you'd be surprised. <laughs> like it, it's seeds get planted very deep in that way. This is Living the Call. And it is Kazmark, right? Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, you just take out the uh, uh, the C. So like spaz, jazz, raz. So yeah, Kazmark. Nice. You know you can't say that anymore, right? Oh, yeah. Spaz. So, yeah. We were just talking about that on, on our other show because uh, Lizzo, I guess, did it first where she changed her lyrics and then... Um, Beyonce just did it at the end of July really? with her new album. What? Yeah, what it was a week. It was fast. Oh, oh, interesting. Yeah, because apparently it's an ableist slur. Hmm. Now, of course, you know, my comment on all this stuff, which my co-host, uh, you know, he, he sees the world a very different way. That's kind of the whole point of the show. But my point was like, wait a minute. So you got a problem with spaz, but you don't have a problem with everything else in your lyrics <laughs> and I was like because I, I don't know Lizzo but I looked up her lyrics and it was like you know you know what it was in it right it was hose and n-word and slut and this and the other and I was like uh those seem pretty bad too no but um you know it's not there's an except yeah that's the thing like uh it's it's one thing that's deemed not right uh and then you forget about like um yeah, there was an analogy of something I've seen where I think it was like celebrities protesting. Um, it was something like conserving something. And then yet they like did something on the whole other side. That's just like, you know, it's, it's causing more harm, you know, ever, with everything else. So, but people like to hyper focus on one thing. And, uh, and yeah, it's unfortunate. I'm interested in your, and, and by the way, we could just go. Normally I pray, but I'm fine to just keep talking. <laughs> Um, so <clears throat> we'll just name of the father and son, Holy spirit. Let's kick this thing off. But, um, where, where, where do you land? You know, you, you're back director, producer, you're an artist, right? You're a maker, you're a creator, you're a person who, and if you don't consider yourself one, you certainly work with them, mm-hmm. right? In a variety of different categories, but like on something like that, where's your head at? If, if I say to you, Hey, this popular culture, pop culture, musician, decided to change a lyric in their song because the community reached out and said, Hey, that's not cool. Like what's your take on that from your perspective? I know my POV on that. It's, uh, it's like everything. It's complex. It's, I wouldn't have a black or white answer. Um, I think we live in a gray area. So I would, I would first think like, okay, ask, what is that, that lyric? Right. Um, because I think there's, there's one thing, you know, I've done ministry for a long time and, being sensitive to meet people where they're at is a really important thing. And so perhaps sure. that lyric should have been changed or perhaps it's not a big deal, you know? So okay. um, I think you got to look at it on, on not just a, a globally, but more specifically. Um, and, you know, I, I think I could sympathize with both sides. I can sympathize with the artist. That's like, it was, just, it was, you know, they might even wrote the lyric, right? They probably had some ghostwriter <laughs> write that lyric. Sure. And so like, exactly. oh yeah, sure, I'll change it, you know, and, and to stay. Um, or they sort of like, I think, try to like uh, play to certain audiences um, and, and just to like, you know, and that's, they don't authentically even feel that way, but they're just pretending to to get that. So, you know, it's, um, I actually kind of think about something a priest said to me one time when I was in confession um, and he was less concerned about like the sin I was doing, but why I was doing that sin. And so I think you got to go to the why sometimes to really find, you know, the heart in the matter. That's the, that was the part about the, this one issue where it happened with Beyonce was that her album dropped on the 29th of July. And then like by the first or second of August, she had issued this statement and her statement was, it has come to, no, it has been, 
communicated to me or it's come to my attention or something that there is this offensive lyric. And it seemed like to me, uh, like a, a distance from her work, like, you know, almost like, you know, did you not know that it was in there? And you think about all the process that goes through releasing an album. You got a thousand sets of eyes on this stuff, mm -hmm. right? All the way down to like the packaging and the marketing and whatever. And at no point did somebody see that and go, oh, this might be an issue. And I'm not even saying it is an issue, but I'm saying did did nobody in her kind of clan look at this and say, hey, we we shouldn't want this. And so to me, it seemed kind of disingenuous, you know, but, but again, if you're the artist, I mean, it's your stuff, you can do whatever you want to it. But it was to your point, like, why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. Like, what's the motivation for it? And to me on that one, it seemed a little bit more about sort of signaling the virtue rather than maybe even believing the thing or, and I don't know, cause I obviously I have no idea. She, maybe she does authentically feel bad about this. Um, but it just seemed like a little bit distant, right? Like somebody brought it to my attention and I, I don't want to not sell a bunch of albums or have people, you know, troll me on social media. So I'm going to change this. I mean, I would go even if I can go a little more cynical for a second, I'd be curious. Please. <laughs> well, I'd be curious, especially when you're talking at that, that high of a level, right? Like Beyonce. So like superstar level, uh, it came out, what you said at the end of August, so, end of July, oh, July 29th, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, the album yeah, dropped. Even better. So it came out end of July, yeah. and then what, the estate, when it was issued, uh, like a month? Like two days later. Oh, two? Like three days later. Oh, oh in, yeah. in July? No, July 29th, it came out. August 2nd or 3rd, her statement came out. Um, yeah. I would say, I mean, this is just being purely cynical, but like maybe it didn't drop as heavy as she wanted. There wasn't that much press. I mean, I, Oh, wow. Uh, You're going deep. Well, I like that. I mean, here's the thing, like, that stuff happens. Like, I'm not saying you did sure. that, but like people do sure. do that, um, you know, to get, I don't know, like I, not to shift gears, but like, I always find it interesting when people like protest like a movie or like, you don't really see it too much anymore. At least like it was, it was more prominent. Like, uh, and I feel like in the seventies, eighties, nineties were like, uh, conservative, like religious groups of protest, uh, like a bad movie, like, like the exorcist or like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like showing my age. Yeah. Um, and it, it's a good flick, Exorcist. What's that? That was a good well, flick, yeah. Exorcist. Um, or like, I don't know, just other things that were not deemed like appropriate. And maybe it wasn't appropriate, but all that protesting just got more attention to the thing they didn't want people to see. And so, yeah. um, I don't know, there's a there's a, a quote from this uh, Blessed James of Barioni. Um, actually, I forget what the quote says. But basically, he just talks about like, focus on what you were doing in the good stuff. Don't pay attention to all the mm. bad negative media out there. He was like a... Um, a pivotal person in sort of like the 21st century and creating digital media and stuff in the. Oh, really? I don't know him. Oh, dude, he's awesome. That's awesome. You got to check him out. He, really? he started 10 different yeah. orders. He's a dude. He, he's the man. He's the man. What's his name again? Uh, Blessed James Silverioni. Wow. I got to definitely check him out, especially if he's got a whole, you know, media piece to it. <laughs> but I think that's really, it's, it's good advice and it's practical in any case, given the media world we live in now, because if you're trying to appease everyone, good luck with that. I mean, it's like, if anything, can kind of harden your your artistic principles. It's kind of like the world we live in today because I don't care what you do or how beautiful it is or how special or whatever, there's going to be somebody who's going to hate on it. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, <laughs> And I think you have to have a thicker skin because, I mean, like before putting something out, we required so many different layers, you know, to, to get out there. Now, I mean, anyone could do anything and thus anyone could comment and tell you that what you're doing, you know, looks terrible or you sound terrible or any number of things. And so it could be hard um, to, I don't know, to, to stay like authentic because you, you put yourself out there as, as you're authentic and then people just tear it down no matter what. So it, it's challenging yeah. all around. You've, have you ever had that like in your, in, in your work? I mean, and just, you know, for, for those who don't know you, I mean, you've done going back, you know, over a decade now, at least that I could find, you've got a bunch of credits on, you know, IMDb for, a lot of really great stuff, uh, documentaries, comedy specials, just like a, a wide variety of things. But have you ever kind of done something and been surprised by some of the commentary? It, it, to the extent it wasn't positive. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, has that, has that hit you? Yeah, you know, I, I've done, it doesn't hurt quite as much on like art, like if you call it like art I put out, right? So like films or, or, or shows and stuff. Uh, because there's like an objectivity to that. And it's like, okay, you didn't, you didn't get that. Uh, where, it, where it stings is when I've done like videos where I'm speaking on something, uh, most oftentimes on camera uh, gotcha. stuff, like teaching or reviewing something like camera equipment. 
Um, and then they'll, uh, <laughs> actually if I'll, I'll be real, real vulnerable right now. Um, I don't know why, but, um, so this goes back to when Twitter first was doing live video. So like live videos seem like everyday things now, like, Oh, like every app has a live feature. Um, it was called Periscope it was like one of the first ones. Uh, and I believe, oh, yeah, I remember. You remember Periscope. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I believe Twitter owned it. I could be off on who owned what and, and whatever. So anyways, uh, it was early days stuff and it was early days of drone. And so like, um, and I had, I kind of been on drone stuff since like the Phantom one. And I, I have a whole bunch of fun stories about that flying over the Vatican and things like that. Uh, but I wasn't supposed to <laughs> anyways. So I was like, okay, <laughs> um, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna do like a live video talking or, you know, like showing how to like get a drone up, do some moves and stuff, whatever. And, um, uh, so I'm doing it and then the comments are going, I'm trying to like do both things, right? Fly the drone, look at the comments, like respond to it. Cause you, you can respond in real time. It was like, it felt like really cool. And then, um, uh, I'll just use like the, uh, uh, um, the person said, man, he's got a big butt or he actually, they said it a little bit more vulgar than that. Cause I was standing up straight and, uh, I was like, Okay. And I got, wait about you, yeah, about, about you. Yeah. And it wasn't in a positive oh, way. Wow. <laughs> no, yeah, uh, exactly. And, um, wasn't a compliment. It was not a compliment. No, it was not at all. And I remember I got like, really like, I was like, and then I stopped doing Periscope then. <laughs> so like, yeah. Uh, so it could be, well, but go ahead. Go I ahead mean, it could just, it could, it, sometimes you could, you can create stuff and people can say things, but, but there's just like, there's certain, I think like wounds, no matter where it is, when it pierces that, I think it could stop you in your tracks and you could be like, okay, maybe. And so I imagine like celebrities have that too. It's certain, like they could take a lot, take a lot and they get hit with one thing. And you're like, what was that? Like, it wasn't a big deal to someone else. And it's like, it knocked them down. Well, when it hits that super vulnerable spot and we all have them, right? What's the kink in the armor that we all have that maybe in some cases we don't even voice, but when, you know, that well-timed, uh, you know, comment or, or, or maybe an insult in this particular case, it's tougher for that stuff to kind of roll off, uh, roll off your back. It also, I mean, you also remind me of, um, you know, the reality of, of things that, you know, look, I'm, I'm older than you are. I'm 48 and actually, no, I'm 49. I just turned 49 in July. So I have to remember that, but I'm 40, I'm 49. And I grew up with the idea of bully as being the kid, you know, in the class who was like physically bullying you. Mm -hmm. Right. So when, when a lot of this sort of cyber bullying, which is what it was called then, now it's kind of like online bullying, maybe there's other terminology for it. But when that stuff first started to happen 20 years ago, there was a little bit of cynicism in me, to be perfectly honest with you, where I'd look at it and go like, come on, that's not really bullying. Because, you know, I was, I was a, you know, a brown kid going to a 98% white school in Florida. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? I would, and I'd, and I'd ride the bus too on top of that. Nice job, mom. <laughs> so I'd ride the bus to school. And, you know, I remember kids in the, like sitting behind me would kind of flick me in the ears. Right. And, and they would call you all kinds of things, mostly the fact that I'm Hispanic and they, you know, and like, we'd have it out. I mean, we'd get into it like full on like bus riots of like fights and stuff. It was crazy. Right. Um, but when I think of bully, like that's the image that came to mind for me. And the irony was that in many times after these kind of exchanges, like a lot of times you'd hug it out with the guy and then you'd, you'd even become friends, right. It was this kind of crazy dynamic of like, when the bullying goes to like physicality. But anyway, when, when the online stuff would come out, I, there was like this bit of cynicism, but now, you know, looking at this stuff and on the point you just made, like there is real costs, right. Mm -hmm. To that kind of, of stuff when it happens in the digital realm from people you've never even met. And who don't even like, yeah, I mean, I'm 39, so we're 10 years apart, but I feel like I feel like a similar sort of, um, you know, pre-internet type of, you know, growing up bullies. I agree. Like bullies were like typically people that were larger than you that could beat you up and you were afraid of. And so that was a, you know, a real thing. And so, uh, when you move into like the psychological more like online where there's not the physical thing, because there's something about being in front of someone physically and doing it that like you, you could, you inflict pain in them and you see the pain right there. And I, I'm not saying bowling in person is better than online, but, but I'm just saying like you could see the impact. And I think that's why oftentimes yeah. you've hugged out. I mean, like there's, there's people that like I got in arguments when I was a kid and then we became friends. And I think there's something because you, you see the hurt and you want to kind of make amends and you become that. But online, 
it's not there. You just, you just spew the the hate or the, the venom or whatever it is. It, it hits that person. And like that person is often by themselves, just like feeling that pain. And it just like, it, it just like permeates so large. And it, it, it's, it's, yeah, I, I would say I feel like it's a little more dangerous um, nowadays. Mm. Because of the fact that you're not like, it's almost like you're experiencing it solo and it, it, there's less of an ability to maybe share it or, you know, or, or maybe you can share it, but the idea that like when you're getting bullied or you have a fight in school or as a kid, like, you know, it's, it's, it's a real thing that happens and you, other people see it and, you know, it's something that you're kind of sharing in a space of on some level kind of community, but there's a lot of isolation on, on the digital side of things. And if you don't have that sort of avenue of expression and ironically, even if you don't even have that release, right? Like for me again, I don't know if, if you had some kind of similar experience as a kid, but like I would get into scraps quite a bit because of the way that, that I came up as being like, you know, this Hispanic kid coming up in a very predominantly, um, you know, lower middle class kind of blue collar, uh, white setting, at least my high school years were that. And so I'd get into scraps all the time, but there was this like release after that, right? Like you'd get into a scrap and there was this release. Now either you lost or you won. And then sometimes you could kind of make up and all that stuff. But at least it was this release. But with the online stuff, it's like it kind of just piles on. You know, it's like layer, layer, layer. And if you're a person in public view, then there's a lot of it, you know, potentially. Yeah. I mean, I could have said it better myself like that. I think you hit it right in the head with that. There is there's just no release. And and thus, I think people go inward and, and go into things that are just more harmful to themselves in that in that way. The way you came up too, when when we had our call earlier, you talked about like, you know, because I, I look at you just so you know, I, I kind of look at you. The reason I wanted to talk to you as much as I did was because I kind of view you as a little bit of a mold breaker. And I really love that. This idea of not just kind of how you came up, but the, the the sort of avenues that you've chosen to express and the way that you express your 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 art and your work is is kind of very different from the general expectation. And so I always love that kind of mishmash of like people that you don't expect to do a particular thing. And when you look behind it, it's like they do. And, you know, you, a lot of it is physical for you. Like you've got, you know, full sleeves and people look at you and go, this guy can't be like a devout Catholic and whatever. And I, I get all that, but I think that's part of what makes it really interesting. But when you were coming up, like, you know, you talked about like BMX, that was like, you know, that was a big thing for you. Was there something from that experience, you know, I don't know, community or brotherhood or something that you've kind of like called back in your adult years within a Catholic context? That's a, man, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I think so. You know, I, I feel like I was sort of, um, I mean, I did some, you know, traditional stuff growing up between soccer, baseball, you know, and team sports. But then, you know, as I got to be, I would say like seventh grade or so, so whatever that, like 12 or early teens, um, I feel like I really started, um, being able to express that in different ways. And, um, so yeah, a lot of that came through in BMX, a little bit of break dancing and finding, I think, uh, BMX was good. That was interesting because it was, it was like six dudes. They're all older than me and they're all better than me. And it was like a close knit and we kind of like all rode together. But the problem is they went to college and then I, I didn't really have a community. And I would say, uh, late high school, early college, I found a lot of, um, uh, the breakdance community in Chicago. Um, and that was mm. very diverse, like just very, very diverse. If you know, like every ethnicity and honestly, like <laughs> the white dudes are often not the best dudes. At all. <laughs> like we're just like, just physically we're just not. And so like you look up to all these other people in, um, of all these different, uh, ethnicities and stuff. And it creates, um, I don't know. I just was attracted to that a lot and just finding community within that. And I think like that carried over to, you know, to ministry as I got older and then, um, you know, even now, like uh, running a business, uh, trying to always like keep that in mind. But at the same time, like, you know, breaking the like, it, it's hard. Someone we actually were working with a, a marketing company and they're talking about like who, you know, our audience and Catholics and stuff. And they, the one dude just called to call me out. He's like, he goes, yeah, but like you're on the home page. And like, what's a picture of me? He's like, don't you think that not <laughs> going right. to attract Catholics? And I was like. I don't know. I mean, I think there's, there's a, there's something interesting about like being yourself, but not, I'm like, who I am is not like to create a spectacle. It's just, I just feel comfortable with 
how I look. And I don't think I look that crazy, to be honest. But, you know, maybe some might disagree. I, I don't either, but I guess it all depends on what the chip is in your head when you look out and what crazy looks like. Yeah, you know true. what I mean? I don't know. True. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think it takes forms in different ways. Um, it, it'd be hard to articulate something specific, but, um, uh, but yeah, I, I, to, to your point, I think it does. Well, I think, you know, just even the idea of this kind of diversity, right, where you're coming up, if you're coming up in BMX or, and certainly in breakdancing, right, I have a little bit of experience. Like, you know, I remember, like, again, I'm a decade older than you, but I remember when, you know, kind of breakdancing broke through the kind of the veil, mm -hmm. right, the, the, the whatever you want to call that, the membrane of popular culture. And it, this was like, you know, early mid 80s, right, with with movies like Break In and Break In 2 and all these different things. And what was the other one that was a... Uh, uh, forget the, uh, and you're either, you're either a break in or this, I, I'm going to remember the name, but anyway, it was one of those two and it's, it was like a Pepsi Coke thing. Are you like break in or are you this other thing? Um, maybe no, it was, uh, I remember Ray Don Chong was in mm -hmm. it, who was in Red Dawn and a bunch of other stuff, uh, like really classic eighties movies, but it'll come back to me in a second. Street beat maybe, mm -hmm. or beat street, beat street. I don't know. One of those, one of those things, but when, when break in came out, you know, part of the, the the kind of magic of that movement is exactly what you said, which is, you know, a lot of white kids started getting into this, you know, very deeply urban kind of movement, right? So you'd see these, you know, groups in LA or whatever. At that time I was in South Florida, but I would even see it in South Florida. And I'm sure you saw it in Chicago mm -hmm. of like, you know, white kids and Hispanic kids and black kids and everybody kind of hanging out and doing that. And what I think is really cool about that which, you know, certainly is an image of the church, right? Is this idea of, you know, the solidarity and the brotherhood of man and how we're, we're, we're all, you know, children of God. But oftentimes in a typical faith walk, it kind of, it's a bit of a crapshoot. If you grow up in a place that's predominantly white or predominantly black or whatever it may be, you may not see that kind of diversity as much as you do through these, these other, you know, kind of movements. And so, but I do think that that's an important principle to remember in ministry and in other things is this, this like, kind of rich, really beautiful diversity and not to be so, um, uh, you know, hesitant or uh, whatever, like, you know, kind of like look at it suspiciously, right? Because even what you said about your marketing company, you on the homepage, it's like, are somebody, is somebody going to look at you suspiciously and go, you know, I don't know if this is Catholic enough for me or whatever. And I think that suspicion is bad in a way, I, I, in, maybe in all ways, because, it kind of takes for granted, you know, the dignity of the human person and all that. And just because we don't have that experience, you know, doesn't mean that we shouldn't interact. And so I'm kind of like bullish on platforms, you know, sports, uh, breakdancing, things like that, that can provide an avenue to, you know, kind of get people to connect. Because even though it's never a replacement for faith, it can at least be like expressed, you know, that way or, or, or utilized that way, right? It's kind of like a means to to develop more, 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 you know, communion, fr frankly, with other people that you may not otherwise get a chance to meet. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, it's, you, you made a really interesting point in that in the sense that like, you know, I'd go to these events with, you know, hundreds of people, all different walks of life, ethnicities, you know, uh, et cetera. And we don't, there, it would, there's no beef. It's all, everyone's there. I mean, there's like the fake beef, like when you're like breakdancing and, you know, like, but like everyone's yeah. there for one reason, like, Cause I like breakdancing. I just want to watch uh, like a good battle. And, uh, and, and that is like a good reflection of like in the church, especially when you go really anywhere in the world, you know, and you, you go to a Catholic mass and it's like, you're, you, you just, there's just this commonality. And so I think it, it, it aims to a higher purpose. So I think like sports can be really be like sports at its best, in my opinion, is the, is the idea of taking all different people from all different places and you're there for one reason and you have that, 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 um, that commonality between them. And you could feel like, you know, uh, and, and that, that points to God yeah. and, and that in the same way, like it's just in the human race, you know, even if people aren't Catholic, right. We're all part of God. We're all part of God's creation. And so I think if you can start to look, uh, and open your eyes in that way, um, I think it breaks down a lot of walls too. Yeah. And that is, I mean, the definition of Catholicism, right? Is this idea of the kind of universality of the human family. I mean, that, that, that is what it is, but it kind of leads you to, to, to another area, which I definitely want to get your point, point of view on. And that is that, you know, we've got a lot of silos uh, up. Uh, I, this is my impression. Maybe I'm wrong, but we, it seems to me that there are a lot of silos 
about the way that we express kind of our Catholicism. And this is among people who would consider themselves devout. So I'm kind of removing for the sake of this comment, you know, folks who may be really early in their spiritual walk, or maybe they're just culturally Catholic or whatever it may be, but like people who take their faith more seriously. Sometimes I've run into these like, you know, spheres where, you know, even though on a devotional level, we're all there, like, you know, we're right with it. Like we're all there, right? Devotionally. But there's this kind of like sense of, um, you know, you're not from my tribe mm-hmm. kind of thing, you know? And, and maybe I feel this more because, you know, I, I walk into a room and we joked about this, right? But some of the rooms that I get a chance to walk into in, in, in Catholic land, like, it, it, you know, it's a little bit of the same kind of thing. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And it's like, it, I, I feel very um, aware of that, I guess, in some of these different areas. And on some level, I'm sure you relate because, you know, you are similarly, I think, built, right? Where people look at you and go like, wait a minute, which, you know, reminds me of that Sesame Street thing, like which of these kids is doing his own thing, right? It's like, you're like kind of that little square that's got like the weird thing happening. So I don't know, like talk to me a little bit about that because I think we've got a ways to go there. And, and, you know, I think it's all well-intentioned people, but there's still something that we could improve. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely silos. I've seen it, uh, I mean, I've grown up in cradle Catholics. So I've seen it from a young age and then, I've, you know, it, now more professionally in meeting different people. And some of it's natural, right? Some of it's, it's kind of like tribe or where you're from or geographically and stuff. And then other things can get a little too, um, it, it can get a little too intense, you know, uh, it, where it's probably not healthy. Um, these silos that are created. And then, you know, um, I, I don't know. I think part of it is, is it's human nature. So like we, we, whether it's, you go to a Catholic church and you see these silos or you go to a Protestant church or you go to any number of things and you're going to find these silos within silos. Um, and so, so it's, I think, I think it's, it's there, it's part of human nature. And so because of that, it, you know, it's not exclusive to Catholics. We just need to be aware of it and try to, for those that want to, you know, do better, um, step outside that, you know, when, when you notice yourself like Mm. really in a silo and stuff. And, um, you know, like, for example, like you put myself on a spot, like if I was around a bunch of like Catholics that look like me, right. That like tattoos, da, da, da. And like someone walks in with like, you know, khakis, some dockers and like, you know, I, you know, like blue blazer, blue blazer, like, you know, who's this nerd, you know, like not really, you know, but like, and so I think it's like, it's like no matter who you are, like but no matter what silo you, you think you might be in or whether it's based on looks or whether it's based on beliefs or nuances of any, a number of those things, um, like just stop, just like, like get your, get out of it. You're right. And I think that's, um, that's always the goal, no matter who you are. How, how do you do it? Like if you perceive that, whether it's voiced or not, but you get that vibe where like, you know, I'm not landing for this person or groups of people. Like, what do you do? I mean, if I, like, if I was in a situation where I was I'm maybe trying to talk to a different group uh, in, in that way, or if, uh, if I'm just sort of a, like more of a, a passerby. Yeah. I mean, I, I think of the setting, let's take the, let, let's talk about the kind of, you know, the, the, the khaki blue blazer sort of crowd, mm-hmm. right, for just a second, okay, you know, uh, and broadly, and, the, and I mean this with all love and respect and sincerity, because I, I definitely don't want this to ever appear like I'm making a judgment or an inference, but, but there is this, you know, kind of a Midwest Catholic sort of vibe. And even though I know you, you're in Chicago and that's technically the Midwest, you don't, like you as a, as a person, when I've seen you, it's like, well, that, that's a little different. And so I can imagine that you know, people who don't know you, maybe at this point everybody knows you, so they're like, they get it, and they don't have, you don't have these moments that much. But if you walk into that room and you kind of get a sense that, you know, they're, you're, you're, I don't know, startling, you know, you're, 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 people are looking at you and going like, I kind of just don't get it. I'm a little bit, you know, reluctant to engage. Do you ever feel that, I guess, A, and B, what do you do about it? Got it. In your, in your case. Yeah. Oh, don't feel it all the time. I'm just, not that many people know me. <laughs> I'm flattered that you might even say that, but no. I knew you for a long time before I ever reached out. It's shame on me for not having done it no, sooner. No, no. Um, no, but yeah, I, all the time. But I think I have, we all have more in common with people than we have differences. And so like, if I'm in those situations, um, you know, like 
I'll take a, a page out of my mom's book because my mom is like, she can make friends with anyone, anytime. Um, and uh, she's not as like, she's Italian. So she wears black, but that's because like Italians just like to wear black. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, yeah, I mean, so in those situations, I just sort of try to relate to whatever is the most commonality thing. So if I see another, like, say, let's say it's a guy that might be a dad, you know, kind of relate on the dad level, uh, relate on, I don't know. I feel like um, for me, it's it can feel a little like crappy to, to initially. Yeah. But um, I think the important thing is like I always just try to get over myself and be like, okay, whatever. I may look a little different, whatever, no problem. Um, and just try to find whatever commonality I have because, like, honestly, what they're seeing is probably the only difference. There's probably so many other things that are in common, and so like just kind of getting past that and. Um, yeah, I just think that's you just you just got to get over yourself. Um, I think it's the answer to a lot of problems. To be perfectly honest. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We could definitely talk about that. I think in your case too, it's also maybe at different layers too, right? Like, um, just one example from my own life is, um, you know, the Latino community from a Catholic standpoint has a perception among a, a number of people to be either overly kind of pious, superstitious, or overly charismatic. Mm. Right. Um, and so I find when I'm in kind of the circles that I just described that sometimes people will make that assumption about me and that over the course of the conversation, as I share more about who I am and what I believe and how I practice liturgically or otherwise, like the panic sort of subsides. Right. Because in a lot of those rooms, you know, you know, super certainly superstition, but overly pious and or, you know, um, charismatic things you know, sometimes get associated with sort of the Protestant side of the Christian equation, right? And so, like, so I, I kind of find, like, sometimes I have to chip away at that. And it's not—oftentimes it's not spoken. The reason I know this, Rob, is because people have told me after the fact. They've been like, oh, when I first met you, you know, and I, I kind of assumed this, that, and the other. And, and then I'll find that that's not really, like, the way that they express their faith. And so there was this kind of, like, unspoken distance, right? But, like, between us, just just by saying, hey, I'm Hispanic, or, you know, in my work, I talk a lot about, you know, the, the Hispanic church, and so there's this, like, oh, you must believe, therefore, these kind of these things, you know what I mean? And, I, and, and that's got to, to my mind, it's a little bit about you, because your work, when I first became familiar with you, it was because you had, um, and I don't know his name, the priest uh, who was doing all oh, the, the uh, hip-hop stuff Alex. and the rapping. Pontifex. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, I was like, there's got to be a bunch of, you know, a number of people who maybe look at that and go like, we shouldn't be doing this and it should be just Gregorian and blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, so on some level, maybe somebody looking at you and saying like, oh, you're the guy who puts the priest to rap. And like, that's, I don't, I don't go that way. You know what I mean? Like, so, so I think there's like layers on some level to this. Is it, am I, am I off? No, there's a lot of layers. And the funny thing about Pontifex is, um, despite him being very, a very good lyricist and, and, um, and all, and being able to deliver well, if you look at him, he just looks like, I mean, now he's got a beard to his, you know, but like when I first met him, he just looked like a, like a suburban, you know, a priest at your parents. Like he did not look like you do hip hop. And like, cause I heard him before I saw him. And then when I saw him in person, sure. I was like, you the same person? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and even and even with the cassock and everything, he looks even not just a priest, but he looks like a more traditionally minded right, priest. Right, right. So, yeah, I mean, I always love, you know, contrast. I love like mixing two things together. Uh, I think this, it creates just more interesting stuff. So, um, but yeah, I mean, we've gotten plenty of flack on that where people, you know, um, did not, uh, I think where I try to clarify stuff is like, I'm not at all trying to say like, we should start doing like, hip hop as liturgical music. I mean, I'm sure there's, I don't like, this is just after church, you can have right hip hop music. That's Catholic. Like, you know, so it's like two separate things. Sure. I'm not, uh, and I think people where you get a lot of frictions when they try to think you're, you're melding the two together. So. Right. Or you're going to like introduce a new mass setting and you're going to have uh, you know, hip hop during the Alleluia or right. something. You know what I mean? And then <laughs> people make that, make that leap. Yeah. I mean, it's, and, and I mean, out of curiosity for folks who may not have responded well to that in the, in the beginning, the Pontifex thing, like what was the approach? Did you, did you engage with that criticism or did you just kind of let it fly over? It was, it was tricky. We engaged a little bit, but not too much. You know, um, at first I was reading a lot of the comments and then, and like all of them. And then I was realizing like, it wasn't actually bringing me anything good, you know? Uh, and so, uh, 
it was good to get a pulse, read some of them, um, but not to overly go into it. And really, um, you know, the early days, we a lot of stuff we did with him was spoken word. Uh, so he, we did th- some of the music videos and then like we took a break and did like a bunch of spoken word and then kind of went back to the music videos. And so um, each of those we've kind of felt like was a response to sort of culturally what's going on um, and what was sort of needed. And so it was like taking a pulse of like pop culture or like p- political or whatever you want to call it, and then inserting the creative hip hop vibe with it um, to, you know, to give something that we thought might be meaningful for people as they walk away. Was the whole thing in response to that, um, I hate religion or whatever it was, that one? That was the first, that was the first spoken word we did. And I think before that we might've just done like a couple like impromptu music videos and stuff. Uh, but that was like the thing that really took off. And yeah, that was a response to, uh, yeah, the, why I love, uh, Jesus, but hate religion. Uh, right. That's, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which, which, you know, I remember, I remember somebody uh, seeing that, like, I remember definitely that, that people were sending that around. And so I thought the response was particularly timely and it was really good too. That's the thing. It's like the stuff that you do, like where I paid attention to it, um, you know, because I, I've worked and lived in the media world in Los Angeles and like you, you get to have an expectation on what content should look like irrespective of the story, right? It's like, there's a qualitative level to it. There's a way it's shot. There's a way it's lit. There's a way that you, you know, layer and sound. There's just like, there's just a feeling to a well-crafted piece. Sadly, a lot of that craftsmanship goes to waste and a lot of, you know, terrible content, but you can kind of recognize it. Right. And when I first saw your stuff, it was like, okay, this, like whoever this guy, I didn't know who you were. I didn't know anything about spirit juice, but I was like, you understand that part of it, the craftsmanship part of it, the actual, the, the, the artistic part of it to where now the content, which is the greatest story ever told can now kind of, you know, do its work, right? It doesn't have to work so hard to kind of break out of this really crappy container that a lot of our stuff sadly is in. I wish I could, I like take that soundbite and just like put it on the, like that, that, that's it right there, man. Like, that's the thing. Like it doesn't, you have, we have the best message. I'm trying to re, just restate what you just said, but I just want to do it for emphasis because I think that's was so important. It's like, we have the best message, but it's got to work three times as hard when you put it in a container that does not look good. And so, um, right. yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like if we have the best message, it deserves the best medium. And the church got that. Well, the church was like, you know, talking about like, uh, the arts two, three, 400, 500, 600 years ago, it got it. Yeah. We were na- nailing it. Like we were nailing the it. It was and like the yeah, top of it. Yeah. And then, you know, once I think the digital age came, it just slowed down because the church often thinks in centuries, not in, you know, uh, in, in what's the latest thing now. And so I think it slowly kind of fell off, it, you know, because those traditional works of art, uh, held the test of time are still going on, but like, it's, it's its own thing. You don't have to be up on technology to, to do that. And so, um, yeah, that's where I think the church fell off. And then, and I think just even the fear of it too, I, I was reflecting, um, this morning, I don't know why, uh, about when MySpace first came out. Um, and we like spirituals had just, just started. And I had to like convince a few different people that like, no, we should be on like MySpace. Like it's just bad. There's nothing good on there. And like, now it's kind of like, yeah. uh, well, cause it's really not around, but also just like, and so there's just this immediate fear. New technology comes out, fear. And then, okay, then yeah. like, okay, the, it settles a little bit. And you say, okay, where's it going? Okay, all right, well, we don't have to be too fearful. I guess, I guess this is fine. At that point, the next new technology probably just started and you're sort of, you're already in the tail end of it. And so um, yep. because there's a lot of fear, I think the church, and, and I'm not saying it, it's on, I get it, right? But that's why the church, I feel like, is so behind in media. And um yeah. And that's why like, it's hard to find, like when you see, like, even for me, like I was first attracted to like, oh, you could have high quality Catholic stuff. When I saw grassroots films, they hated like Fishers of Men. This is back like you mm. know years ago or like uh, God in the Streets of New York, where they're like taking the uh, Eucharistic procession um, and they filmed that yeah. and like, um, they got it. Right. And like, they, to be really honest, they inspired me to do what I'm doing. You know, there was a few different things, but mm. specifically when it comes to like, the media stuff. And so like, Oh, I saw it can be done. And I think that's, what's important is like, people need to see that it can be done and then it gets aspire to that. 
A hundred percent. I also wonder, and I'm literally just thinking about this right now, because I agree with you that the church thinks in centuries and maybe part of that is the uptake and the speed at which technology is evolving that our kind of Catholic mindset doesn't necessarily lend itself well to that reality. I, I concede that. I think that's a really, really insightful point. The other one that I wonder about, and this is literally real time, is I wonder if um, the kind of the underlying business model has a role in this. So for instance, when we talk about, you know, the history of the church in the artistic realm, sculpture, architecture, you know, uh, painting, music, all that stuff, the model was principally patronage, mm-hmm. right? Like you would have a patron that basically got behind this and said, this is good for the world. The models that we have now are consumer driven, which is like advertising, subscription, stuff like that. And patronage has really subsided. I mean, I guess on some level you've got philanthropy or whatever, but but it's not like a like a, a vehicle in the same way that it used to be. It, 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 it feels more to me like I'm checking a box because I, I have I have too much money and I don't want the government to take it. So I'm going to give some of you to, you know, some of it to here. Like, do you think that has something to do with yeah, this? I never thought of it, but I, yeah, I think it does. Um, I think I, I think it does because it's there's just. Um, there's more visibility on everything everywhere now where you didn't have that. And so like, it's, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, that, that's, this is new. As you said that, that I've never thought of or even heard of that before. Yeah. Either had I, honestly, <laughs> I was kind of processing it out loud as you're saying that, but, uh, yeah. yeah, I think that that is a big part of it. Um, and consumer, and now these like, Oh no, I think consumerism, that's a really interesting point too, because that drives so much of stuff as opposed to, you know, mm. you just didn't have consumerism 300 years ago. At least I don't think you did. Um, not to the level. Yet. I mean, you, you you may not certainly not to this level. I mean, it's like you know most of the stuff that like now we make a our you know our economy in large part is driven by sales and marketing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times what you're selling in marketing is sales and marketing. <laughs> so it's like this weird kind of like reflections in a mirror thing. There's actually this really, did you, you ever see the big short, that movie that came no, out? I don't think so. I don't think so. It's actually worth a look. Um, it has uh, Christian Bale in it and uh, a number of other people, Brad Pitt's in it, I think. But the big short, for those who may not know, was um, it kind of like documented the big economic downturn from 2008. Okay. And the the way that they put this movie together, the, the reason I think you dig it is the way that they actually built the mm-hmm. movie. It's then it, and the creative devices that they use to actually tell the story, because you're dealing with these super complex um, concepts. And unless you're an economist or a Wall Street banker, you may not like get it right. So the film takes these like really interesting kind of creative devices to convey the story. And one of them, which kind of reminds me of the consumerism thing that you just said, is this image of. Um, of like reflections in a mirror, right? And and one of the things that the film does is it'll use people from popular culture that are not economists and not, you know, Wall Street people to tell the story. So it's like, and it's so random. Like the, there's, a, there's a movie happening and all of a sudden like some athlete is sitting at a table and, and the camera turns to them and the athlete tells you what's going on behind the scenes. So it's actually really creatively done. But there's this one scene where they're trying to explain the whole financial economy. And I forget who it was. I don't know if who who was the person. Maybe it was like Lady Gaga or somebody. But it was like this random celebrity who's, who starts telling the, the, the story of kind of how our economy works in financial terms. And she describes it as like, well, imagine if, you know, I have a product and, you know, whatever it is she holds up in her hand, I forget. Now imagine a reflection of that product. So you've got not the actual thing, but the thing that represents what the thing is. And then what, you know, derivatives and all these financial instruments are, are basically like a thousand reflections of the reflections and everybody's making money at every one of those reflection stages where there's only really one product. In other words, one maker of the thing. And the way that she described it was really like interesting. Um, Actually, I think it was Selena Gomez, (laughs) like talking about random, just people like it was like Selena Gomez, right? Um, but that's kind of how consumerism is today. Like, you know, 500 years ago, you wanted to buy a chicken or something. You'd go buy a chicken and, or trade for it or whatever. But now it's like our economy is built on these kind of like massive reflections of things, right? And 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 I think that has to play a role in this because you, you just don't have the same, you know, kind of vehicles or people behind the stuff to make it happen. And so, you know, there, there's not as much energy, I guess. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But it sounds like it could be 
part no, of it. No, I think that <clears throat> it's a huge part of it. Uh, and now you got me really excited to want to see that movie. I love, um, especially when there's like interesting storytelling uh, in, in unique ways. And also just to, I think the point you brought up is like taking something that's a very complex and, you know, kind of like presenting in a way that is just easily understandable. Yeah. I think that's, that's cool. So many people, mm-hmm. uh, maybe not so many people, that's probably too broad of a statement, but if you like, it could, it's often argued like, Oh, that's too complex to explain to someone. It's like, no, there's just, there's, there's easier ways to describe it. You just have to, it's like, that's the challenge. And I think it's, I'm always impressed when people do that. Um, uh, because, um, I feel like everything's easy. Like this, this is an overstatement. I know, but like things aren't that complex. I know there's complex things, but it's, it's how we look at it and how we get presented to it. And so like, once you break it down in that sort of way, it's like, Oh, I get it now. But if someone were to come out, you would just always yeah. like statistics and da, 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 like, like, I don't get it, but that's, I think, um, it's the challenge. I think this is what I'm trying to say is, uh, people that know something that's trying to communicate that to others, it's, it's your duty to, to, uh, communicate in a way that they could understand, uh, not to water it down, but to, to, to say it in a way that's, uh, that's palatable whether that's you're trying to teach someone or if we're going to bring back to the church stuff, teaching the faith. I think that's a very important part um, is, you know, don't water what you're saying down, but say it that they can understand it with analogies that make sense. And I mean, you'd be surprised. (laughs) Like it, it's seeds get planted very deep in that way. And dude, that's a huge spiritual kind of gem right there because you see it reflected everywhere in scripture, right? I think about St. Paul talking about, I don't know if it was to the Galatians or the Thessalonians or whoever it was, but it was, you know, the the idea of, of milk before meat. Mm. It wasn't that I'm giving you not food, right? You're still getting food and you're getting nutrition for your stage of development, right? So, but it was like, you know, so who needs the milk and who needs the meat? Because they're both God's kids and God wants all of all people to be saved. Right. Um, but it's to your point, it's like, how are we uh, transmitting this faith? And I do think that oftentimes it is confused with watering down. I really do think that. And it's in it. What I see it as is almost like a, a reflection of accompaniment because you do want to meet people where they are and you want to walk with them to get to where they're going. But like you, you might not be able to come and hit them with whether it's that deep financial thing or a deep theological thing. Um, but you can meet them with truth and it's not watered down. It's just like a different modality, right? It's milk, not meat. So I think it's like a huge spiritual point. Yeah. And a challenge because it could, um, it could be easy to water it down. It, the challenge is, is saying it without it watered down, having the same depth, but to an outside person, they might not, uh, it, it might just up, you know, throw in that same bucket of like, oh, that's just watered down. That's not what you're trying to do. So, you know, also goes back to like the intention and, and stuff. And so it's, I mean, it's a challenge. It's not easy. It's very hard and it takes time to, to do it well. And I think the only way to do it well is by repetition and by doing it not great for a while and to, to really, you know, know the nuances of it. So, yeah. Do you think that's one of the gaps that kind of exists? I, I know when we talked last time, one of the parts that I underlined in our in my notes talking to you was this idea of you kind of starting to see gaps, right? When you were younger and you were kind of coming out of this, you know, DJ scene, radio scene, media scene, and kind of like you also had this ministry kind of lens and you were like, there's some gaps, you know, which which I think by itself is a really interesting thing. And, and it, 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 it redounds well to you and to what you've now done. But do you think that there's a gap there just broadly in the church of like the transmission of the gospel, the transmission of the truth and, and like kind of how we do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I definitely think there's a gap there. You know, it's, um, I think it's natural for anyone that once they learn information, they feel empowered, which is good, right? Like you, you learn something, you feel empowered. Um, but then it could sometimes get entitled, right. Where you feel like a little bit better. And so, I think that the balance is like people that are learning stuff and then being able to transmit it uh, in a way that doesn't feel that's coming from an entitlement thing. And I'm not saying a lot of people do, but I think some people do that. And then that can create these gaps where it's like, um, I think when we were talking, I was given the analogy of uh, um, Father Stu uh, and the the actual film. uh, Yeah, which I've seen since then, by the way, since we spoke, I saw it. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you see it in the trailer, but the trailer only, only gives, uh, the, the film, you got to really get it, but it's, 
um, Father Stu and the other priests, and they go into the prison. Um, and uh, it's, you know, it looks pretty intimidating. Uh, and so the one priest is trying to like speak very much from the head and, and stuff like that. And then Father, and then he, it's not being received at all. And then Father Stu just like hits him between the eyes of like, because his heart's there. He, he cares about them. He really does. And he also cares about the priest that's there too. Like he's not trying to like, you know, of tear course. him down. And so, um, so much comes to where your heart is and what you, what you truly desire. Because like, that's, um, I think just that's the, the crux of it all together. Um, I, we were talking about gaps, but yeah. 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 The other, the other thing with that, with that scene too, which is super powerful, um, is that he, of course he loves them and the, the other priest and he wants to bring everybody along, but he's also like, um, you know, he's walked in their shoes, mm-hmm. right? He's, he's lived on some level that life. And when this other priest is talking about, you know, a lot of things that maybe to them, even though they weren't, maybe to them sounded more like platitudes. Um, you know, Father Stu comes in and says, you know, I forget exactly how he says it, but he's like, basically when nobody just gives a shit about you, God is still there, right? And he's talking to people who are like, yeah, I do feel like, you know, people don't care about me. I do feel vulnerable, isolated, alone, dejected, rejected. Like I feel all those things. And he speaks it. It's all true. And God is there when you think when nobody else is or whatever. I mean, that's all true. But just the way he did it was really powerful in in some part for me watching that movie because it was credible that he had actually lived that. Like he had been the guy going like, nobody gives a crap. Nobody cares. You know what I mean? And I'm, and, and that's one of the reasons I think that that was such a powerful scene. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. That I was, uh, um, I was excited to see that film and then watching it. I was, I was even more impressed on just the nuances that they brought forward and, and the depth of like, um, someone, yeah, just his life and, and how they, they made it shine. So yeah, it was good, man. It was, it was really powerful. I, I, I like those guys who are like kind of, you know, the crossover Catholic guys like Kevin James and Mark mm-hmm. Wahlberg and all these guys, David Henry on some level, although he's more, I guess now more f- sort of firmly rooted in the kind of Catholic space, but you can watch that kind of bleed, you know, over the movies, you know, like it just, it starts getting more strong and more clear. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's good because that is another way of kind of this milk before meat. like who knows who's going to see that movie. Yeah. And who knows what image of the priesthood that movie helps to reconfigure. Yeah. Well, just stay on the Mark Wahlberg for a thing for a minute. I, uh, uh, we were at the Wisconsin Dells over the weekend and they had, um, these like big transformer stuff set up outside. Wisconsin Dells is like, uh, a lot of water slides and kind of like crazy stuff. But anyways, these giant transformers. They have a big music concert there, don't they? Like, a, the, the Dells huh? festival they or might. something. Isn't there like, some... I'm not sure. Yeah. They, yeah. I, yeah, they very well could. I'm, I'm not, uh, um, not sure. So yeah, they had these uh, big Transformers, and then some of my kids wanted to watch Transformers that night. So we watched uh, Transformers Five right. with Mark Wahlberg, and there's a scene. So I, listen, I had because he's Mark Wahlberg. I feel like he probably, in his faith, had something to do with this dialogue. I don't think this was just in the script that they gave it to him. But anyways, it's like it's called Transformers Five: The Last Night, and so they're looking for like the last night, and it's like the bloodline. Da da da. It's like um, Anthony Hopkins is saying on like all the qualifications, and they're like. Oh yeah, and you need to be chased, and um, and he goes, and I know you're chased, and so and like so he goes, and Mark Wahlberg in this in the film, his wife passes away early on. And he goes, well, maybe I'm just saving myself. I'm trying to you know, like he he gives like a little bit of like that. My Catholic years were like, dude, that was like super Catholic in Transformers Five with Michael for Bay. sure. And it's like, yeah, I feel like it, it bleeds into that. And he probably said he probably you know during the the filming or whatever, it's like, hey, could I just kind of tweak this line a little bit? And they're probably like, yeah, sure, you know, it doesn't matter. It's the same plot line. And, um, but it comes through and I think that's, that's seeing that is always really cool and, and inspiring. You know what other movie did that? Um, Zac Efron's, uh, 17 again. Have mm-hmm. you seen that? It's an old movie now. You should check that one out too. 17 again. He was probably, I don't know if he was 17, but he was closer to it than he is now. But it was one of these like very eighties kind of, um, you know, I go back in time and I'm now in high school oh, again, yeah, yeah. you know, so there's some, some magical event and like I'm back in high school and I can write all the wrongs and it's a very powerful device, right? Because like people get that and they all want to, they all want to write the stuff that they didn't do right in mm-hmm. high school. Um, and it's, it's, it's that kind of vibe throughout the entire movie, but there's this one scene where now being transformed to a 17 year old self, right? The character, the original character is, um, what's his name? Uh, uh Barry, the guy from friends, uh, one of the one of the one of the actors sure, sure. from Friends from the original TV show 
I forget his Perry is his oh, last yeah, name. I yeah, forget yeah. his first name. Is it Tim Perry? I don't know. Well, anyway, so like he he goes back in time and he walks into his um, health class, basically. And they're talking about sex ed. And the teacher at one point starts handing out condoms in a box to everybody. And it hits it hits in front of the Zac Efron character. And um, he says, and, and everybody's joking. They're grabbing handfuls of it. It's like, oh, yeah, whatever. And then he, he basically puts, he, he puts the stuff back. He's like, no, you know, I don't want this because sex is about love. And you want to you have sex with the people that you, with the person that you love. And that requires this relationship. So I'm not, and it was like so <laughs> stark, Dang. you know what I mean? In this moment. And it was never something, I mean, to my mind, that movie was never marketed as like a Catholic movie. And I don't think Zac Efron is, I mean, he may be Christian. I have no idea what it was, but it was like this very pro-life kind of anti-contraception sort of moment in this film. And it was really interesting because it sticks out like a sore thumb. And people remember that stuff. You know what I mean? They remember it in these very kind of mainstream settings. That's, uh, man, yeah, when it, when that, that's awesome. Now I want to see that movie too. That's so now you got two film recommendations <laughs> for it. it. There you go. Uh, yeah, I feel like Knocked Up did that in the, uh, pro, the yeah. pro-life thing. Like that was like, you know, one of the most pro-life movies I feel like I ever saw, you know, because it was just so like um, in, yeah, it, I don't, I have no idea if that was their intention. Probably not. But um, there is something powerful about those statements when they come, especially just in like, in, in a spot you're not expecting, you know, a Zac Efron movie or, you know, a Transformers or, you know, a Seth Rogen comedy. Like it's, um, and those are the ones I feel like that stick with you because you're not expecting it. And that goes, exactly. that contrast. like, it's a comedy, it's this. And then all of a sudden you get to hit with this like deep theological thing. You're like, dang, like, yep. A hundred percent. The last one that I can think about, because I know I got to get you on your way, but I, clearly we could talk forever. But um, the, the the last one that I think about is um, uh, Kevin James' movie called Here Comes the Boom. Oh, I think I did see that. And, yeah, and it's the, the the one little nit that I would pick on that movie. It literally could have been like uh, kind of Eddie Murphy level, you know, Daddy Daycare, Dr. Doolittle in terms of its success, but it wasn't. It actually didn't do mm. as well. And the reason for that, in my opinion, was the way that it was lit. The whole thing was super dark. It's really weird. I don't know why they did it that way because it's not, it's not a dark movie. But anyway, aside from that, there's this one scene. He's an MMA guy, Kevin James. Well, he's not an MMA guy, but he's training to be an MMA fighter because he's got to like, you know, earn 50 grand to like help the school with the kids and the music program. And like, there's all this story in the background. And, um, so he's training and he's just getting destroyed by like these MMA guys. Right. Um, and there's like real MMA guys in the movie because Kevin James knows all those guys, like they all know each other. And so there's this scene where like, after he's taken a total beating, I mean, this guy's been crushed. Right. And they all sit down to have dinner. And there's this moment where like the lead trainer guy is like, well, before we eat, let's say grace. And like, he just bursts out into, into like a prayer. And then he actually quotes a Psalm. And, and it was, again, this like, what is happening here, right? Because it was like, imagine you're watching Daddy Daycare or something. And it's, even though it's, of course, not a shocking thing, and uh, probably billions of people do this before they eat, all right? Um, but it was so unexpected mm -hmm. in that setting. And this is probably a little bit before Kevin James started becoming known that he's like Catholic and does things mm -hmm. like this. But, um, but it was, you know, to your point with, uh, with um, the Transformers thing, I don't think maybe it was written that way. But I think it was somehow worked in and it was just striking. You know what I mean? I still remember that single scene. I can't remember most of the movie, but I remember that one scene. Yeah. And it was really impactful because of the contrast of where it was. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's, um, I think that's, you know, that's really what we're called to, like living our faith in our, where we're at. And it's not necessarily, you know, like, yeah, sure. If you're in doing Catholic media and all that stuff, that's great. But like, honestly, most people aren't right. And they're, 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 they're working a normal job or a not religious based job, whether that's in the arts or whether that's just anywhere. And I think you, you, you want to make sure it comes through authentically and, and, uh, and appropriately. And I think those examples do that. And that's, I think that's, what's beautiful. I think that's really uh, just prime examples of, of, you know, living your faith in that way. So yeah, that's cool. Rob, before we get you on your way, we're going to do our wait what segment as per usual. But before we do, I really want you to share like how folks can 
you know, get in touch and follow your work. And I mean, you've done a ton of stuff and a lot of people who listen to the show probably already know, you know, about you, but if you want to you share with folks how to kind of follow your work and also maybe like something on the horizon or something you're excited about, that kind of thing. And then we can get to our, uh, to our wait, what? Yeah. Thank you. So, um, if you check out at spirit juice on any of the social platforms or at spirit juice studios, we have two spirit juice is just like the faith content and spirit juice studios is more like how we do it. Um, so we have a lot of stuff like that. You can just Google us and we should be probably the first thing that pops up. Uh, something on the horizon. Um, I'm really excited about where, um, we, we kind of launched it last year and it was, a um, we're relaunching it this year, but we're doing Catholic kids content. So a YouTube channel, mm. it's going to be called juice box. Um, and then once nice. <laughs> I love that. That's great. This stuff, That's great. Uh, you know, geared for three, six year olds. Um, and it, this is, uh, we talk about gaps. It was a gap that I noticed because I have a four and six year old and there was not, there's very little faith-based stuff, especially on YouTube for them. Um, and so this, I'm excited. We, we did a, we have some fl a flagship show that has a lot of really cool stuff and then some smaller regular content that'll be out weekly. Um, so yeah, check a look out for that juice box, um, should be coming soon. Love it. And we'll include all that information in the show notes, but I'm looking forward to that one specifically because I do think that's a big gap as well. All right, very good. Rob, so we've actually got three questions for you as always, but today, first time ever, all three of these questions are going to be fill in the blank questions. So sadly, there's no time machine question today. So Rob, you're breaking the mold even on this show. <laughs> so nice, nice job. Um, all right, so here it goes. This is the first fill in the blank question. Rob, in 1910 the first blank ever used to convict an American of a capital crime happened in what is now the Beverly neighborhood on the south side of Chicago, which I know that you know a thing or two about. So the first blank ever used to convict an American of a capital crime happened on the south side of Chicago in the Beverly neighborhood. What is the blank? A photograph? Oh, good guess. If that's your final answer, sadly, you are yeah. incorrect, my friend. The, fir the, the answer is fingerprints. Oh, okay. The first fingerprints ever used. Turns out a guy named Thomas Jennings was burglarizing a house when the homeowner showed up, came home, and Jennings shot him. And based on the fingerprints left at the scene, he was convicted. And eventually, he actually was hanged. So there you go. The fingerprints were the first time ever used in the south side wow. of Chicago. All right, cool. Question number two, Rob, fill in the blank. This one's really close to home too. In 2019, after searching endlessly online for music in his genre of choice that reflected his Catholic identity and not finding any, Gabriel Eschel decided to make it himself. Now, with hundreds of thousands of subscribers and views, dozens of appearances, and massive live events in Latin America, Gabriel, or Gabriel, is one of the most successful blank in the world or I should say Catholic blank in the world but uh, what is the blank one of the most successful blank in the world more than musician right it would be more specific than that yeah I mean I've got some acceptable answers but you got to get a little better than just musician DJ yeah there All you right. go <laughs> absolutely yeah I would have accepted uh, electronic music artist or something like that but yeah uh, apparently, you know, he's he's huge. He comes from Guadalajara, which is uh, um, a state in Jalisco, uh, the, the, in the state of Jalisco in Mexico, a place I actually know pretty well. And uh, and yeah, he's pretty, pretty big in Latin America. And he just, you know, kind of saw that gap too, just like you, Rob, and just made it himself. So there you That's go. Awesome. All right. Last one. Fill in the blank question number three, Rob. Here goes. Inventor Emile Berliner, who lived in the 19th and 20th century, was born in Germany and grew up Jewish. Later in life, he became an agnostic and even wrote about his agnosticism in a book called Conclusions. However, Rob, it's not his religion or lack thereof for which he is remembered. When he was young in Germany, he thought he'd grow up to be a merchant like his father before him. But when he moved to New York, he almost immediately became enamored with the nascent audio technology movement, which the telephone and phonograph had kicked off years earlier. Emile would go on to design, build, and patent the blank, which has become indispensable to music consumers and creators down to this day. Hmm. 
Dun, 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 dun. Um. Mm-hmm. So you would go on to design, build, and patent the blank, which has become indispensable to music consumers and creators down to this day. The and is important here. So what is the thing that he designed and built and patented? Well, and I'll give you an, an even an even further hint. Okay, I'll get I'll give you a hint, really good one. It ties to the last question that you just answered. Uh, the D, uh, so well, uh, in my head, I'm thinking microphone, mixer, uh, record player, turntables. Turntable. Turntable. Okay, that's right. Turntable. Nice. Yep. Emile Berliner was the guy who first built that turntable. In fact, designed the discs to be flat and not those sort of rolls that happen in the phonograph. Yeah. And it was, uh, you know, not too soon, not too long thereafter, people started figuring out that you could actually scratch these things and make some interesting <laughs> yeah. sounds. So there you go. He kind of gave birth to the DJ. That's you know? amazing. Um, that's fun. That's fun. Great job, brother. 66%. Even though that's a D <laughs> in school, it's an A plus here. So great job. Um, and, uh, and yeah, what a privilege to have you on the show, man. It's super great to know you, meet you. And, um, you know, we're, we're really happy. I'm really happy that you're out there doing what you're doing because uh, the world needs it. And I think you do it especially well. So thank you so much for, uh, for coming yeah, no, by. Dick and Charlie, thank you, man. I mean, uh, when we talked a few weeks ago, I just left that so invigorated and just like, I was so excited for today and just felt like kindred spirits and things. And, and um, you know, sometimes it's hard to kind of keep doing what you're doing. Uh, and I just felt very uh, just enthused by our conversation. And uh, if, it was it was perfect timing, I'll say that, without going into a whole lot of other detail. It was perfect timing. And so I'm just very grateful and, and just blessed for the opportunity yeah ditto on this side brother great that you're great to 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 know you and uh happy that you're doing what you're doing out there and if you're listening to our voices maybe this can inspire you um to go do that thing mine that gap uh close that you know chasm whatever it may be that you see out in the world um based on this conversation and the things that we discuss so share the show with a friend share this episode with a friend Subscribe. Always remember to subscribe. We'll see you again next time on Living the Call.